Hello and welcome back to the Basic Bible Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Thompson, and we're continuing our series on the doctrines of grace, or the five points of Calvinism. Last week with uh, Pastor Tom Buck, we talked about total depravity, and now we're on to the U in the classic ULIP, uh, TULIP acronym, uh, Unconditional Election. And joining us here today on the phone is uh, Les, well, actually not on the phone, we're on Skype, sorry. Uh, Les Lamphere, the uh, the founder of the Reformed Pub, Reformed Pubcast, and the documentary Calvinist. So Les, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. And uh, toward the end of the program, I do want to talk about Calvinist and um, your newest yet-to-be-released documentary as well. Uh, but Les, uh, how honored do you feel to be returning to the podcast? Oh, oh so honored. So honored. <laughs> this is a highlight of my week. Since, since the Reformed Pubcast hasn't aired in quite some time, I'm assuming you've got nothing better to do than to, to join me. So. I'm making a lot of memes um, <laughs> uh, and working on a movie when I, when I have some free time from the memeing. Yeah. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about, you're probably most well known for the Reformed Pub, uh, the Facebook group. Tell us a little bit about that for the three people that might not know what we're talking about. Well, uh, so the origin of the pub is that uh, my friend and I, Tanner, uh, and I started a podcast called The Reformed Pubcast, and as we were releasing the first episode, we figured it'd be cool to have a group so people who listen to the show can interact. Um, And then the pub, just I guess that combination of words, Reformed Pub, um, really struck a lot of people, and uh, it kind of blew up and became a little culture of its own and a lot of people in the group don't necessarily listen to the podcast so um so yeah it just became very uh, sort of a a place for sort of younger reformed people who are working through the doctrines of grace and stuff like that would come and you know it's got (laughs) there's a lot of people that don't like it there's a lot of people like it some people say we're you know the group is is too immature and then other people say you know, we're basically legalists because we're holding to, um, we hold pretty strictly to some some particular uh, issues, like don't post pictures of Jesus and, you know, things like that. So And only craft beer, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so it's got it's got a, a bit of a reputation, but uh, I love it, and yeah. I think it's beneficial to a lot of people. And I think I, I, I'm not the only one who would say it's one of the only reasons why I'm on Facebook anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I do love the give and take of the pub. And I love bouncing ideas off of people, and it just at times it's hilarious. At times it gets uh, uh, wow, intense. Uh, yep. Some of the debates, but you know, that's that's how we roll, and that's uh, it's 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 great. Yeah, and there's no you know no, nobody's you know I, I'd be the biggest defender of the pub, and but even I wouldn't say that you know sin doesn't happen and right. bad choices aren't made and all that stuff. You know, we're just a bunch of sinners on Facebook. Well, as, as we talked about last week, not only do we believe in total depravity, we practice it. So. Yep, unfortunately. <laughs> All right, well, last week we did talk about total depravity, and so we're moving on uh, to unconditional election. Les, what do we mean by unconditional election? So the, uh, so the, the canons of Dort, which uh, I'm sure you've, you've covered yep. in previous episodes, um, the canons of Dort actually start with unconditional yeah. election, which is interesting. So that the tulip, as we say it now, um, historically, 
it would have been ULTIP if you go from the actual canons, which is where we, we get these documents from. Um, so unconditional election is the first one. And uh, the idea of unconditional election is basically saying that God has chosen uh, who, who he's going to save, and he's done that not based on anything that he saw in the creature, not based on the faith that he saw that we would have or good works or anything like that, uh, but it was without condition as far as we go. Not, nothing in us made us stand out above anyone else, and his choice was based solely uh, on his love, the Father's love for the Son and this desire to bring about redemption and glorify God through, uh, through salvation. That's important. You mentioned that it's not based on anything that we do. In other words, we're not earning our way. It's not as if God looked down the quarters of time and saw that uh, Kevin Thompson would be a good guy. And yeah, he's got some mistakes, but I think I can work with him. And so therefore, I'm choosing him based upon maybe his acceptance of me. That, that would be a complete wrong idea. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Article 9 in the uh, in Dort on this first, uh, this first topic, it says, um, the same election took place not on the basis of foreseen faith, of the obedience of faith, of holiness, or of any other good quality and disposition, as though it were based on a prerequisite cause or condition in the person to be chosen, but rather for the purpose of faith, of the obedience of faith, of holiness, and so on. So it is not based on anything in us, but as Ephesians 1, 4 says, he chose us so that we would be holy and blameless, not based on our holiness right. and our blamelessness. And then uh, Romans 9, verse 10, talking about the election of Israel. Uh, not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, neither good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of work, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger, as is written, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. So here, clearly God is making a choice of one person, not just a nation, but one person over another, so that the purpose of election could stand. And this had nothing to do with anything either one of these people did. Yeah, I remember... Uh, not too long ago, uh, at my church, we have a beer and theology night every once in a while, and there were some unbelievers who were joining us, some friends of a member of the church, and uh, we kind of got into election a little bit, but the guy started kind of questioning this idea that God would, would choose people uh, over against other people, and it's unfair and all that, which is, which is really, you know, the cliche is Romans 9 for Calvinists, because uh, it just clearly says it. Um, it's maybe it's just a very profound uh, passage or chapter in Scripture that lays this out very clearly, and he's answering objections. So I kind of um, asked this guy the questions about Rebecca and these twins, Jacob and Esau, and so I just kind of set him up. And I, I think he I think he was claiming to be a Christian, but he thought this was unfair. So I asked. So, okay, let's say that a woman was pregnant with, with twins and, uh, and they had done nothing, you know, nothing good, nothing evil, and there was nothing in them that would be seen 
uh, would it be unfair for God to choose one and not the other? And he said, you know, of course, yes, uh, that would be completely unfair. So then I opened the Bible and I showed him literally, hmm. literally, that's what Paul is pointing out, that not based on anything that, that he saw that they would do, not based on their works, not based on anything, but based on God's prerogative right. to choose. He said, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Yeah, so we, we clearly have a choice made by God. But then, uh, as, you, as you mentioned, throughout this passage, Paul is trying to answer these objections. Yeah. And so, uh, verse 19, So will you say to me, talking about actually moving on with Pharaoh, and he hardened Pharaoh's heart even before Pharaoh had the chance to tell Moses yes or no about letting people go. Pharaoh's heart was already hardened so that the purpose of God could be established, that his glory could be seen throughout all of the world. Mm -hmm. um, so was that fair? Well, will you say to me then, why does he still find fault for who can resist his will? But who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? It seems like here, less that God is saying he has created people. This seems cruel, but he has created vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. In other words, he, there is a choice, and he, he has made one set of people set aside for a particular purpose, but another, not so much. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and that explanation of those two vessels is the way that Paul's choosing to answer the question in verse 19, which is fascinating, because he's not relenting, he's not calming you down and saying, well, I know it sounds unfair, yeah. but... Because the actual question that he's saying, you will say to me, why does he still find fault for who can resist his will? We kind of gloss over that a little bit, but without thinking sometimes about what he's really asking. He's saying, who can resist his will is the, is the question. Like, so Pharaoh did exactly what God uh, predestined for him to do, which would be to not let the people go and to, uh, and to be, all the plagues would come upon him and he still wouldn't let them go. And this amazing miracle of the parting of the Red Sea and the, the Exodus story would take place. God was setting these things in motion so that God's name would be proclaimed in all the earth and that had to happen through Pharaoh and that was God's choice. Hmm. So if you think about that, the first question that comes to your mind is, well, wait a second. So Pharaoh couldn't resist God's will. He had to do exactly what God planned for him to do. Why does he blame Pharaoh then? That's the question that, that we would naturally ask. And Paul's not confused about that. Like the Bible understands that's a natural question. But Paul doesn't say, no, 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 you're misunderstanding. It's, you know, Pharaoh had a choice. No, he says, who are you, old man, to answer back to God? Right. He just digs, he digs his heels in on this issue. He says, God is free to do this, and not only that, but God creates vessels for honorable use and vessels for dishonorable use. And this choice was done before the foundation of the world, 
before you were born, before he, you know, before you spoke in a single word, God chose if you would be a vessel of wrath or a vessel of mercy. So then we have a problem, it seems, that God is creating people he knows will never be saved, and not only knows will never be saved, but purposed. Um, and so sometimes we get into what's called double predestination. Mm. Is God creating people just to send them to hell? Doesn't that seem like a like a very uh, horrible, ghoulish, uh, terrible God? Yeah, so the uh, in uh, the, the canons of Dort, the way that they lay this entire thing out is they start with the idea that God has a right to condemn all people. Right. And so uh, Romans 3.19, talking about the whole world being liable for condemnation, and Romans 6.23, that the wages of sin is death. We have all sinned. Uh, no one seeks for God. This is the natural condition of man. And it's not something that, uh, that God is responsible for ultimately. We are, I mean, he, he has predestined all things that will happen, but, but it, it's made abundantly clear in Scripture that we are responsible for our sins, hmm. uh, and Adam is responsible for the sin nature that he's given to us. This is our own doing. This is humanity's doing. And so if we, uh, as humanity, have turned our back on God, we have now earned the wrath of God and earned death, and God is completely just to leave that entire mass of humanity that's turned away from him and is running straight to hell. He's, he's free to allow them to continue down that path and be judged as guilty criminals against God. But in God's love, he's chosen to reach out and choose some of those essentially criminals on death row. He's chosen to pardon some. Right. And a criminal on death row can't say, because you've chosen to pardon this person, it's only fair that you pardon all of us. Right. No, that is not how justice works. You, uh, mercy is above, above justice and undeserved, and it's not something that you can claim any kind of uh, fair uh, need for. God does not have to have mercy on anyone. So to pass over someone and say, I choose not to save this person, is not at all unfair. Yeah, and I think it's important, that's why we covered total depravity last week, because if we understand total depravity, uh, I think this is a lot easier to understand. Uh, years ago, one of my, this is terrible, but one of the highlights of my college career was uh, the breakup of a particular couple. <laughs> At our school, this was, uh, this was the it couple. And uh, I was friends with the guy. Um, I'm not going to mention his name, but he's probably listening. And if you're listening, you know who you are. And uh, he was a, a Calvinist that was kind of in denial about it. Because the school we went to, the Bible college we went to, was definitely not Reformed. In fact, it was probably more anti-Reformed. Uh, but he and I, uh, I, I can't, he and I hit it off as friends. And uh, I think I strengthened his view to the point where his girlfriend broke up with him and said I, ever since you've been hanging out with Kevin it just seems like this is what you talk about and this is what you're uh, so you know cage stage type stuff um, and I thought wow I was mentioned in the breakup speech that's, that's pretty cool <laughs> but what she, she she looked at him she said they were in a in our, in our, our the pizza place at, on campus she said 
what you talk about when it comes to election, it just seems like if I were to stand up and say, I'd like to give free pizza to everybody, and then people started coming forward, and I said, oh, no, not you. I won't give it to you, but I'll give it to you. You, but mm-hmm. not you. And she said, I just can't believe in a God that would do that, that would extend, uh, extend a, a salvation offer to the whole world, but then not give it to people. And I said, well, the problem with that is it's the wrong location. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, if you, what if this took place instead, not in a pizza parlor, but a, a morgue? And said, okay, anyone who wants it can have this pizza. I think that's, you think it's a, a more of an accurate picture of what uh, we're looking at in Scripture? Yeah, yeah, I mean, even, I mean, that, that is the reality. We are dead in sin, we are unable to come. Um, but there, there's also the idea of just the, the nature of man. Um, and that's, that's what our deadness really means, is that by nature, yeah. we do not desire God, we are turned completely towards right. sin and away from righteousness. So even with even with this this beautiful pizza party, uh, the problem is that by nature, the this this wonderful thing that you want to hand out to people, somehow nobody in this restaurant wants it. Yeah. So so when you say come get come get this free pizza, none of them want to come, and so something needs to happen for their nature to change. So it'd be it's more like you know having a. a a pile of meat and you have animals in the restaurant that don't like meat you know yeah i don't know giraffes or something like some animal that just by nature that's not what they desire and so their their nature would have to be changed to even desire the thing people don't want christ people don't want god by nature and so you know down down the line in this series that you're going through you, you guys will talk about the solution to total depravity in those who have been unconditionally elected. Right. And that is that their heart needs to be changed. Right. And they need to be brought to spiritual life. And make sure you tune into that podcast because Aaron White is going to be back with us. And we're going to be talking about how God changes or regenerates the heart to where our desires themselves and our affections are, are changed. That has to take place before we can accept any offer of salvation, because again, it's repulsive to us by nature. Uh, but unless I, 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 I have, I think it's go ahead. It's 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 worth pointing out uh, within this this conversation uh, that uh, the again in Dort, which is again the source that we that we kind of look to to define these these terms that we're going through. Uh, Article three. So right from the beginning, they're talking about. God's right to condemn, and then the manifestation of God's love, which I think is ironic that uh, right in the beginning of Dort, uh, John 3.16 is quoted. Uh, but no, that know. can't be quoted. No, that, that, that's the other side's <laughs> yeah. verse. Yeah. Uh, but then Article 3 immediately. So this, right as this document's starting, they're talking about the preaching of the gospel, this, this free offer of salvation to all men. Um, so we, that, that's an important thing to remember, that yes, uh, as reformed uh, Christians, we do believe that there is a chosen race, just like Israel. You know, if we want to say that God's unfair in choosing, well, what about before Christ came when he chose a nation the size of Florida, uh, surrounded by the entire unbelieving world, uh, and did not offer them his word, did not offer them the, the worship 
of, of himself in the temple and all these things. It was just Israel. Well, that's election. That's right. unconditional election. Right. God, God even says that um, it's not because of your number or because of your strength, but it's only because I set my love upon you. Yeah. So we know that God has still a chosen people and from all tribes, tongues, and nations, but we don't know who they are. And the command to us is not to try to figure out who's the elect, but to promiscuously share the gospel with right. all men in hopes that God will gather his elect from, right. from uh, all tongues, tribes, and nations. All right. In terms of application, we try to uh, end each podcast with some applications, some resources. But in terms of application, the one that jumps out at me the most, uh, I, I kind of joked around a little bit earlier about the, the term cage stage Calvinist. That's the, the Calvinist who's just uh, come to understand the doctrines of grace, come to understand what Scripture teaches about these things, and just seems like he's on fire. He just wants to debate about this, argue about this, and he can't understand why everyone else can't see this. But if we understand this doctrine in particular, unconditional election, it ought to lead to a greater sense of humility, understanding that the only, the only reason why I've understood these things is because God has changed my heart. God has opened my eyes. Without that, there's no way I can embrace this. There's no way I can understand this. It would be repulsive to me. But God mm -hmm. had to change this within me. And so uh, I, I think less I, we could agree that humility, this ought to lead to a greater sense of humility for, for each of us. It should, and, and a lot of people sort of think that this this system of theology, you know, it ends with perseverance of the saints, which means that the elect will, you know, can't lose their salvation, essentially. So God's the one who chooses us, and he's going to make sure we're in heaven. And a lot of people get confused about that, and they think that that would give us some sort of passivity, so we can just sit back and relax yeah. because we're elect. But, but the scripture doesn't give us that luxury, um, and it doesn't even tell us that that's what election was for. We've been saved for good works. Um, and uh, again, uh, Canons of Dort point out that this election isn't segmented into different things that God elected us for, but the fact that he elected us for his salvation also means that he's elected us for, for good works. So it's all one one electing work. Yeah. And, and then Peter calls us to make our calling and election sure. Right. So the fact the fact that we know that the elect will never be lost doesn't get us off the hook. What it causes us to do is, one, like you said, show incredible humility. It should. It often doesn't, unfortunately. But it should show incredible humility because God has so graciously against, but like that person on death row who is, who's about to die any day now, um, is, is set free. How, how much humility and joy would you have in your heart? Um, but also, um, we don't take our election for granted and say, uh, you know, because I, I know these things, I'm definitely elect no matter what. Because if we do find ourselves in um, unrepentant, you know, just completely seemingly turning away from God, we should fear uh, destruction just like, right. just like anyone else. So, so we're called to make our calling and election sure, to always be pressing on and showing that our election is true. That doesn't mean we, we're sort of confused about whether or not we're elect, and that's what we're... But, but it all goes back to the gospel, because when, when we're unsure of our election, 
what do we do? We trust Christ. Right. When we're sure of our election because we're doing well and we can feel that you know that God is pleased with us, which I think is a sort of experiential Calvinism, um, we trust in Christ. So it's always about turning back to Christ, whether you're in doubt or whether you're in uh, bounty of faith. All right, so we turn to uh, recommended resources. And so, uh, Les, let's talk about your documentary, Calvinist. Great. Tell us a little bit uh, how, how that uh, how that came to be, and it's a great film. And it's not, and I I hate to say this, but a lot of Christian films are, are pretty cheesy, or they're just not done really well. But Calvinist is the standout exception to that. So talk to it's just a great. I want to recommend it to everybody. Uh, tell us about that. Great. Uh, so I was I discovered uh, what I would you know now call Reformed theology through uh, this sort of time, maybe 10, 15 years ago, uh, as people in my generation were um, kind of finding the theology of the modern church to be shallow, and there seemed to be this resurgence of people looking in the scriptures and finding these deeper doctrines that had a historic uh, past that goes back to the Reformation. And uh, everybody suddenly seemed to have discovered Calvinism, and this movement started to begin, and it was it was nicknamed the Young, Restless, and Reformed. So um, I knew a lot of these people because of the podcast and because of the Facebook group, and I sort of had a a little bit of a, a finger on the pulse of the way these people thought and the experience they went through and the YouTube videos they watched, uh, and I just thought it was a story worth worth telling. So. I reached out, I did a Kickstarter, asked if people wanted to see it, and they uh, they supported it very, you know, enthusiastically. And so I was able to devote a year to traveling around, interviewing all my heroes of the faith, and compiling together this, this story of uh, sort of my generation uh, uh, coming to embrace the, the doctrines of grace or Calvinism. And so tell us about your, your next project, which is Spirit and Truth, which uh, you, you have been on the podcast before, talk about that. In fact, it's episode 45, if you want to look that up. But give us a, a brief summary of, of Spirit and Truth. Yeah, so um, I think just very similar to the way uh, Reformation moved, I think Reformation continues to move this way even personally in people's lives, where um, sort of you first re-understand or, or rediscover the gospel and these doctrines of soteriology of salvation and that's what happened with me that's what happened with this generation where Calvinism or the description of how God saves us was the first thing that blew our mind but as as with the Reformation the next thing that I started to really be convicted of and started to understand and be amazed by was the issue of worship and how your understanding of the way God works with you in salvation isn't divorced from the way that you approach him in worship. And it turns out that uh, the, ref the Reformed tradition that gave us Calvinism also has a very well-fleshed-out philosophy on how we're supposed to approach God. So this movie is uh, seeking to still be entertaining, <clears throat> entertaining and um, you know, fun to watch, like I tried to do with Calvinist. And uh, but the the question at hand is, 
how are we to approach God in worship and what are maybe some of the missteps that we are guilty of in the modern evangelical scene. Is there any kind of time frame of, of when that might come out? So there's a conference happening in October called the Reformation Worship Conference mm-hmm. that's in it, uh, right outside of Atlanta. And so I'm, I'm planning on premiering the film there. So wow. that's uh, late, late, uh, did I say uh, October, late October. And then uh, the movie should be available to purchase in November uh, or December, some, somewhere in there. That's the plan. All right, we'll have links to that on our website. I also want to recommend two other quick resources. Uh, Chosen by God by R.C. Sproul, which is kind of the book that God used me, used in me to, to kind of open my eyes. But then also if you want to get a little deeper than that, The Reformed Doctrine of Predestination by Lorraine Botner is also a, a good book to look at that. Um, and then just real in closing, Les, the, there's, a, there's, there's an elephant in the room and the question that people want to ask the most from you, is there any connection between the decline of the Reformed pubcast and the... Uh, the ascendancy of the Basic Bible Podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know the story of Elijah and Elisha, right? And uh, the <laughs> I think I think maybe that's what happened. Um, well, the sad thing is your po- spiritual predecessor. <laughs> the sad thing is your podcast probably still gets more hits than uh, the Basic Bible Podcast yet. But anyway, Les, thank you so much for taking the time this morning and and chatting with us. Absolutely, thank you for having me. This is a lot of fun. All right, and uh, everyone else, thank you for joining us next week. We're going to be talking about limited atonement. You won't want to miss that one. That's, that's the big one. That's the one a lot of people will, will, will balk at. Some of the four-point Calvinists will throw up their hands. So uh, join us next week with that. And until then, check out our website, www.basicbiblepodcast.org, and then uh, on Twitter and Instagram at Basic Bible Cast. So until next week, have a great rest of your week.